Thank you to our team for leading us before the throne this morning. So good to be here on fall kickoff. And fall kickoff means a couple of things. First, it means after the service, there will be lunch and some games out there. And so I'd encourage you to hang out and get to know some people after the service today. Second, because it is fall kickoff, today is the first Sunday in which our Spanish worship service is meeting downstairs right now. And we're excited about what God has been doing there. Yeah. And so they're kicking off right now downstairs, and we look forward to seeing all that God has in store through that ministry. It is also fall kickoff, so we're starting a new sermon series today. Over the course of the next 18 months, we are in chunks going to be making our way through the Gospel of Mark. And we're starting with the first four chapters in a series that we've called Jesus Revealed. Because those first four chapters of the Gospel of Mark are all about the identity of Jesus, who he is, and what he's like. So we're going to be spending time walking account by account through this Gospel, looking at who Jesus is and what he's like. As a reminder of what we will be doing each week, on the center screen, there's going to remain this puzzle. It is a puzzle that ultimately will be an image of Jesus. And I say an image because we, we don't actually have a photograph from a couple thousand years ago, right? So this will be something that is supposed to look like Jesus, and it will be a little more formed each week as we walk through these passages and understand a little more about who Jesus is each week. Today, the primary revelation about Jesus that I want us to understand is that he is the good news. Today, we're going to spend time dwelling on the good news that Jesus is the good news. And when we spend time reviewing good news, dwelling on good news, it brings joy and happiness and excitement to our lives just to review that good news. A couple weeks ago, my son asked the most wonderful, God-honoring, Jesus-loving young lady to be his wife. And she said, yes. And we are... So very excited about this. And over the course of the last couple of weeks, my wife and I have had an opportunity on many occasions to review this. We've reviewed it by sharing it with others. There are times that we've just sat in our sunroom together and reviewed that information together. No new information is being added. And yet every time we review this information, I get excited and happy and joyful. Because it makes us joyful to review good news. That is what you Vikings fans are going to experience all week this week. <laughs> right? As you review on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the Vikings' dominance in their game today, there's not going to be any new news that's a part of that, right? The victory will have been accomplished on Sunday. And yet on Tuesday afternoon, you're going to be experiencing joy and happiness about it. Because it makes us happy and joyful to review good news. If it makes us happy and joyful to review some family good news or some very, very silly sports good news, how much more joy does it bring into our life to review the good news, right? The greatest news. Mark chapter 1 verse 1 says, 
Jesus is that good news. It begins this way. First verse, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Greek word translated gospel is evangelion, which means good news. This is the beginning of the good news, and it is good news that is all about Jesus. Jesus is the good news. You might say, well, wait a minute. I thought what Jesus did was the good news. Right? What Jesus did is meaningless apart from who Jesus is. Who Jesus is and what he's did, they are knit together, and the gospel is all about Jesus. And over the course of the next few minutes, we're going to walk through Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 13, and we are just going to look at different aspects of the good news of Jesus And it is going to bring joy to us as believers and happiness to us as believers to review that good news. But I would love it if that joy and happiness followed you into this week. So you may want to write down some of the good news that we're going to be talking about or pull out your phone and take pictures as we go through so that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you can continue to review this good news and the joy that it brings. The first thing I want us to understand about the good news is it is the good news of salvation. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the gospel of Jesus. What does Jesus mean? It's the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua, which means Yahweh's salvation or Yahweh saves. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, the angel tells Joseph, you're to name him Jesus because he will what? Save his people from their sins. Jesus means salvation. But he is Jesus the Christ. Right? Christ is a title. And what does it stand for? It's the Greek of the Hebrew Messiah, which was the anointed saving king, the anointed delivering king. And so we see here this picture of Jesus, the the saving king who has come to earth. And that salvation from sins is possible because he is the Son of God. If he was just a guy, what hope would there be for the salvation of sins? If I stood up here this morning and I said, if you guys will just trust in me, all of your sins will be forgiven. Right? What would happen? That'd be my last time speaking here, right? And you guys would seek help for me. If Jesus was just a guy... Right? There, there would be no salvation. It is because he is God and man that he can bridge that gap between us and God and forgive that giant mound of sins that I have that sits before God Almighty. Right? It's because he's son of God that he can save us from our sins. It is very possible that this salvation was in mind in the first two words that Mark writes in this gospel. Right? The first two words are, the beginning. And it may be that what, was, what, what is intended here is to draw our minds to the first three words of the Bible. What are the first three words of the Bible? In the beginning. And in the beginning, what happened? God created. And all of it was good. And then sin made a mess. Sin made a mess of the creation. Sin made a mess of society. Sin made a mess in here. Where I now deal with anxieties, fears, lusts that I was never intended to deal with, but sin has broken us. 
And it may very well be that Mark 1.1 intends to call our attention back there and say, there is now a new creation that is possible through the announcement of Jesus Christ. There was the old creation damaged by sin, but now that sin can be fixed through Jesus Christ and we can be new creations in him. The beginning. It's the good news of salvation. And that good news, we can be confident in that because God fulfills every one of his promises. As we walk through this passage, we see the good news of promises fulfilled. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, verse 2 says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Hundreds of years before Mark 1, God promised that he would send a savior king. He promised that this savior king would be from the line of David, from the line of Judah, from the line of Abraham, and Jesus was. He promised that this Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5. He promised that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7. That he would do miracles, Isaiah 61. That he would die for people's sins, Isaiah 53. That he would rise from the dead, Psalm 16. That he would be the everlasting come in human flesh, Micah chapter 5. He made all of these promises and in Jesus, he fulfilled them. He also promised that before the Savior King came, there would be a forerunner. One who would come before to call attention to his coming. Here in verses 2 and 3, we see a quote from Isaiah chapter 40. It has a little snippet from Exodus chapter 20 and another little snippet from Micah 3, but the bulk of the quote is from Isaiah chapter 40 about this forerunner who would come to announce the coming Savior King and make his path straight. In ancient times, when a king would come to visit a new city in his territory, a forerunner would go before to make sure that the street leading into the city was straight and level. So that as the king came, everyone from the city could witness his majesty as he proceeded into the city. If the street was not straight, if it was crooked or uneven, it was that forerunner's job in order to make the path straight so that everyone could see the king coming and celebrate the majesty of the king. John the Baptist is playing that role here. He is coming before the king to call all attention to the king. He is the herald declaring that the king is coming just as God prophesied hundreds of years before. Because what God promises, he fulfills. Isn't that good news for us? Aren't we kind of counting on the promises of God to be fulfilled? In his salvation, we are counting on the promises of Revelation 2 and 3, that those who overcome in faith will live forever with God. We're, we're counting on the promises of Romans 8, that God can work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We're counting on the promises of 1 Peter chapter 1, that he has an eternal inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And on and on we could go. God has made those promises. We can count on them because he does what? He fulfills all of his promises. And so we can count on the third piece of good news in this passage, the forgiveness of sins if we repent and trust in him. 
John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Right? He, he proclaimed repentance for the what? The forgiveness of sins. He says, friends, your sins can be forgiven, completely and totally wiped away. And as we'll see next week, it is through Jesus that that's possible. But something has to happen in order for our sins to be forgiven, right? What is that? We must repent. What does that word repent mean? The Greek word metanoia means to change one's mind or to turn around. All of us are born headed a direction of self. I want what I want. I'm going to do things my way. We live for the idols that the world puts before us. And God says, in order to experience forgiveness of sins, we must reach a place in our life where we repent of the life of self and the life of idolatry and turn to him. John preached that message that for those who repent, there is forgiveness of sins. And John practiced an outward symbol of that repentance, right? What's that outward symbol? Baptism is mentioned several times here. Baptism is that outward symbol of that repentance that took place in people's lives. I don't know if we understand how big a deal it is that John is calling these people to be baptized. Right? Jews did not undergo baptism. They had all sorts of ritual cleansings and cleanings that they underwent. But baptism, the full immersion of a person within the water, was reserved for Gentiles who wanted to become Jews. It was the symbol for unclean Gentiles to repent and enter into God's family as Jews. John the Baptist is saying to this group of Jewish people, you need to undergo that ritual that only the unclean undergo in order to fully enter into God's family. Can you imagine how the Jews took to this? Well, God's Spirit was at work, and so they repented by the thousands and were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. This is the good news that Jesus forgives sins for those who will repent of them, of self, and turn to him. He's able to forgive sins because of the good news number four here, the good news of Jesus' greatness. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. When we read 2 Kings 1.8 in the Old Testament, we see that this is exactly the way that Elijah dressed. John the Baptist is dressing in such a way as to announce himself as being from the prophetic school of Elijah. And in the same way that Elijah did, he is living off the land. He's not living in a house. He's not middle class. He is living off the land, which includes eating wild honey. That doesn't sound that bad, right? But that's not your focus right now, is it? Right? What are you focused in on? Yeah, the locusts. That's right. Eating the locusts. Last night, we were uh, eating outside on our deck, and my 15-pound dog pounced on a grasshopper and ate it. 
And I was like, oh, she's giving me illustration material for today. What a nice puppy. Right? But these weren't little Minnesota grasshoppers, right? These are Palestinian locusts, large. They are declared in Leviticus to be a clean food for people to eat. The rabbis of Jesus' day even provided certain ways they could be cooked for best eating. Yes, delicious. Some of you are going to have a hard time getting past that. But more important than John's clothing or his diet what was the message that he brought. I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of the one who comes after me. The rabbis in Jesus' day declared that tying and untying sandals was beneath a student's activity. That if you were a student of a rabbi, that was beneath you to tie or untie their sandals. That duty could only be performed by a bondservant or a slave. And so what John is saying here is, when it comes to Jesus, I'm not even worthy to be considered his student. Nope, I'm not even worthy to be considered his slave or bondservant. I am beneath all of that. Why does John say that? Because he's suffering from a self-confidence problem? Right? I'd invite you to read about John the Baptist. That, that isn't the picture that we get you brood of vipers, right? Instead, I would, I would suggest to you that John operates with such humility throughout the Gospels. He must increase, I must decrease, because he fully recognizes who Jesus is. He sees the greatness of Jesus, and he sees how small he is by comparison. Humility isn't about making ourselves small. Humility is about recognizing the greatness of Jesus and seeing how small we are by comparison. That's precisely what Philip Brooks said in a quote I've shared with you before. The true way to be humble is not to stoop until you're smaller than yourself, but to stand at your real height against some higher nature that will show you what the real smallness of your greatness is. Right? And John the Baptist, he fully understood the greatness of Jesus and he saw how small he was by comparison. If we struggle with humility, right? if, if we're people that wrestle with pride, that is primarily an issue of not seeing Jesus clearly and not keeping him before us because the natural reaction to seeing Jesus clearly is humility because we see how awesome he is and how small we are by comparison. It is the good news of Jesus' greatness. We can trust in him. It's also the good news of Holy Spirit immersion. John continues on in verse 8, I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John says, I've been dunking you guys here in the Jordan River, but there's going to be one who comes who dunks you fully within the Holy Spirit. People came to John the Baptist to repent of their sins, and to seek to be righteous. And when they did that, what power did they have to live out that righteousness? Their own. Right? When the people came to John the Baptist and repented of their sins and said, we want to live for God, what power did they have to live that out? Their own. And as we read through the Old Testament, how does that work out? How does operating in our own strength work out? It does not work out well as we see more and more sin and disobedience 
at idolatry? Something different was needed. A new covenant with fresh hearts and the Spirit of God dwelling within people. And John the Baptist says, there is one who comes, and just as you get fully wet in the water of my baptism, so you are going to be fully immersed in the Spirit of God who will give you a new nature and new desires and new power to live that new life out. What good news this spirit immersion is for us so that we can live the life that God has called us to, the good news of Holy Spirit immersion. In verse 9, the account makes an abrupt right turn. An abrupt right turn as the one whose sandals John is not worthy to untie suddenly appears to be baptized by John. And so we read in verse 9, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Here we see the good news that Jesus is the perfect substitute. He comes to be baptized by John. What sins was Jesus being baptized for? John's baptism was a baptism for the repentance of sins. What sins was Jesus being baptized for? Did he have sins of his own? Absolutely not. Jesus was standing as a substitute for us in baptism. The ultimate substitution would take place on the cross when Jesus took our sins and our punishment upon himself and credited us with his righteousness in the throne room of God. But that substitution is symbolized, it starts here in baptism, when Jesus is baptized for whose sins? For your sins. For my sins, he stands as a substitute here. Jesus is, is the perfect substitute for our sins. But that's not all that he is. Jesus is also the perfect substitute for the anointed kings of God's people. As we read through the Old Testament, king after king is anointed with oil for a specific purpose. And what is that purpose? To lead people before God and into righteousness. King after king is anointed for this purpose. They are anointing them with oil again and again to lead God's people into righteousness. And how does that turn out? King after king leads God's people further into sin and disobedience and idolatry. Jesus here is a substitute for all of those failed kings. He is the Savior King who comes and he is anointed in a far greater way. Not anointed by oil, but anointed by the Spirit of God who comes down in a tear in the heavens in order to anoint Jesus. And Jesus will lead his people into the righteousness that those kings could never lead their people into. Leading his people into greater righteousness in this life and perfect righteousness in the life to come. He is that perfect substitute for those anointed kings. And finally, Jesus is the perfect substitute I need to be pleasing to God. We're told here that the heavens ripped open. A word used only one other place in the New Testament, and that's when the veil was torn in two when Jesus died on the cross. That veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. 
And here, the veil between God's dwelling place and his creation is torn in half so that the Spirit of God comes and descends upon Jesus and God speaks through that rip into his creation and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. He's my beloved son and I am perfectly pleased with him. The gospel is that Jesus took my sin and my punishment upon himself and now his righteousness is credited to me before God. And since his righteousness is credited to me before God, I am now perfectly pleasing before God because of Jesus' righteousness. Is that how you see yourself? Perfectly pleasing before God. Why? Because of the things I've done? Absolutely not. Right? Romans 8 says that in the flesh, no one can please God. Ephesians 2 says that in my sins, I was his enemy. But the substitution that Jesus made, taking my sins and punishment and crediting me with his righteousness means when God now looks at me, he looks at the righteousness of Jesus and he now declares me to be perfectly pleasing. This is Matt with whom I am well pleased. Not because of Matt, but because of Jesus' righteousness credited to me. That is what I needed. That is what I needed. He is the perfect substitute so that I am now pleasing before God. It's the good news of Jesus' substitution we see here in these verses. And finally, I had to come up with seven. We couldn't end on six, right? The seventh piece of good news is of Jesus the overcomer. This is the good news of Jesus the overcomer. Uh, again, the account changes venue in verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him, Jesus, out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Jesus is immediately led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, where he is tempted by Satan. Matthew and Luke both provide much longer commentaries about this temptation scene, don't they? Mark simply wants us to see Jesus faced all that Satan could throw at him, and based on the rest of the book, he overcame all of that temptation. He overcame it in the wilderness, and he's going to overcome every temptation that he faces along the way in the Gospel of Mark, because he's the overcomer. Where Adam and Eve couldn't overcome temptation, Jesus has overcome. Where you and I have not overcome sin and temptation in our life, he has overcome. And he has overcome on our behalf so that we might be declared righteous. He has overcome so that we might come to him, the great overcomer, so that he will battle on our behalf. He has overcome sin and death and Satan. He is the great overcomer. And this is the good news of the one who has overcome. You guys, just look at the good news in these first 13 verses. Right? Allow it to wash over you and overwhelm you. All of this good news that brings, brings so much joy, right? so much happiness, so much excitement to our life. If you didn't write it down, now's a great time to take out your camera and snap a picture so that you take it with you. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it's the good news of salvation. It's the good news of God fulfilling every promise. The good news of the forgiveness of sins. The good news of Jesus' greatness. The good news of Holy Spirit immersion. The good news of a perfect substitute. 
and the good news of an overcomer. What do we do with this? One, we live into it each and every day. The gospel is for believers to review day in and day out. It is the source of our joy and the source of our life. And so we review it, we dwell on it day in and day out. Second, I would ask you, is it time to be baptized? We see baptism that is a focus of this passage. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance because the Messiah was coming. Christian baptism is baptism that looks back to what Jesus has done in order to save us. It is an outward proclamation of what God has done. And is it time for you to follow Jesus into the waters of baptism and be baptized? If it is, on that Connect card, you'll notice there's a little area where you can check baptism. We have one coming up in a few weeks, and we'd love to walk you through that process so that you can be baptized in obedience to Jesus. The second thing that we do as we look at this passage is we share the news. It is time to share the news. The first one's a question. The second one's just a statement. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's time to share the news. Uh, John the Baptist is a herald of Jesus coming. Jesus is coming. Everybody get ready. We are witnesses that Jesus came. I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. We are to be those heralds now to what Jesus did and what he's doing in our life. And so God calls us to be those heralds, those witnesses, those who share the good news with family, with friends, with coworkers, with neighbors. That's God's call on our life, to be his witnesses and to make disciples. In a moment, we're going to turn to the Lord's Supper. But before we get there, I want to pray for us. And I specifically want to pray for us as we are obedient to sharing the news this week. Would you guys bow your heads with me? Father, we're so thankful that you choose to use us as a part of your mission to bring your news. Lord, I want to pray for each and every person in here who knows you that your Holy Spirit would be working through us this week so that we might be faithful, courageous, and gentle witnesses for you. Lord God, give us wisdom and insight as we walk through our days so that we can share you effectively. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would go before us, softening people's hearts, removing blinders to prepare people for the news of Jesus that we bring with us this week, the news of Jesus that is our joy, the news of Jesus that excites us and brings happiness to our lives. Father, we ask that you'd go with us in this and that you would make us effective light for you this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.